Chapter 10 of Jungle Tales of Tarzan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Jungle Tales of Tarzan by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Chapter 10 The Battle for Tika. The day was perfect. A cool breeze tempered the heat of the equatorial sun. Peace had reigned within the tribe for weeks, and no alien enemy had trespassed upon its preserves from without. To the ape-mind all this was sufficient evidence that the future would be identical with the immediate past, that utopia would persist. The sentinels, now from habit, become a fixed tribal custom, either relaxed their vigilance or entirely deserted their posts as the whim seized them. The tribe was far scattered in search of food. Thus may peace and prosperity undermine the safety of the most primitive community, even as it does that of the most cultured. Even the individuals became less watchful and alert, so that one might have thought Numa and Saber and Sheeta entirely deleted from the scheme of things. The Shes and the Balus roamed unguarded through the sullen jungle, while the greedy males foraged far afield, and thus it was that Tika and Gazan, her Balu, hunted upon the extreme southern edge of the tribe with no great male near them. Still farther south there moved through the forest a sinister figure, a huge bull-ape, maddened by solitude and defeat. A week before he had contended for the kingship of a tribe far distant, and now battered and still sore he roamed the wilderness an outcast. Later he might return to his own tribe and submit to the will of the hairy brute he had attempted to dethrone but for the time being he dared not do so, since he had sought not only the crown, but the wives as well of his lord and master. It would require an entire moon, at least, to bring forgetfulness to him he had wronged, and so Toog wandered a strange jungle, grim, terrible, hate-filled. It was in this mental state that Toog came unexpectedly upon a young she feeding alone in the jungle, a stranger she, lithe and strong and beautiful beyond compare. Toog caught his breath and slunk quickly to one side of the trail where the dense foliage of the tropical underbrush concealed him from Tika while permitting him to feast his eyes upon her loveliness. But not alone were they concerned with Tika. They roved the surrounding jungle in search of the bulls and cows and balus of her tribe, though principally for the bulls. When one covets a she of an alien tribe, one must take into consideration the great, fierce, hairy guardians who seldom wander far from their wards and who will fight a stranger to death in protection of the mate or offspring of a fellow, precisely as they would fight for their own. Toog could see no sign of any ape other than the strange she and a young Balu playing nearby. His wicked, bloodshot eyes half-closed as they rested upon the charms of the former, as for the balu, one snap of those great jaws upon the back of its little neck would prevent it from raising any unnecessary alarm. Toog was a fine, big male, resembling in many ways Tika's mate, Tog. Each was in his prime, and each was wonderfully muscled, perfectly fanged, and as horrifyingly ferocious as the most exacting and particular she could wish. Had Toog been of her own tribe, Tika might as readily have yielded to him as to Tog when her mating time arrived, but now she was Tog's, and no other male could claim her without first defeating Tog in personal combat. 
and even then Tika retained some rights in the matter. If she did not favor a correspondent, she could enter the lists with her rightful mate and do her part toward discouraging his advances, a part, too, which would prove no mean assistance to her lord and master, for Tika, even though her fangs were smaller than a male's, could use them to excellent effect. Just now Tika was occupied in a fascinating search for beetles, to the exclusion of all else. She did not realize how far she and Gazan had become separated from the balance of the tribe, nor were her defensive senses upon the alert as they should have been. Months of immunity from danger under the protecting watchfulness of the sentries, which Tarzan had taught the tribe to post, had lulled them all into a sense of peaceful security, based on that fallacy which has wrecked many enlightened communities in the past and will continue to wreck others in the future, that because they have not been attacked they never will be. Tug, having satisfied himself that only the she and her balu were in the immediate vicinity, crept stealthily forward. Tika's back was toward him when he finally rushed upon her, but her senses were at last awakened to the presence of danger, and she wheeled to face the strange bull just before he reached her. Tug halted a few paces from her. His anger had fled before the seductive feminine charms of the stranger. He made conciliatory noises, a species of clucking sound with his broad, flat lips, that were, too, not greatly dissimilar to that which might be produced in an osculatory solo. But Tika only bared her fangs and growled. Little Gazan started to run toward his mother, but she warned him away with a quick creog, telling him to run high into a tall tree. Evidently Tika was not favorably impressed by her new suitor. Tug realized this and altered his methods accordingly. He swelled his giant chest, beat upon it with his callous knuckles, and swaggered to and fro before her. "'I am Tug,' he boasted. "'Look at my fighting fangs. Look at my great arms and my mighty legs. With one bite I can slay your biggest bull. Alone I have slain Sheeta. I am Tug. Tug wants you.' Then he waited for the effect, nor did he have long to wait. Tika turned with a swiftness which belied her great weight, and bolted in the opposite direction. Tug, with an angry growl, leaped in pursuit, but the smaller, lighter female was too fleet for him. He chased her for a few yards, and then, foaming and barking, he halted and beat upon the ground with his hard fists. From the tree above him little Gazan looked down and witnessed the stranger bull's discomfiture. Being young and thinking himself safe above the reach of the heavy male, Gazan screamed an ill-timed insult at their tormentor. Tug looked up. Tika had halted at a little distance. She would not go far from her balu. That Tug quickly realized and as quickly determined to take advantage of. He saw that the tree in which the young ape squatted was isolated and that Gazan could not reach another without coming to earth. He would obtain the mother through her love for her young. He swung himself into the lower branches of the tree. Little Gazan ceased to insult him. His expression of deviltry changed to one of apprehension, which was quickly followed by fear as Tug commenced to ascend toward him. Tika screamed to Gazan to climb higher, and the little fellow scampered upward among the tiny branches which would not support the weight of the great bull. But nevertheless Tug kept on climbing. Tika was not fearful. She knew that he could not ascend far enough to reach Gazan. 
so she sat at a little distance from the tree and applied jungle opprobrium to him being a female she was a past master of the art but she did not know the malevolent cunning of toog's little brain she took it for granted that the bull would climb as high as he could toward gazan and then finding that he could not reach him resume his pursuit of her which she knew would prove equally fruitless so sure was she of the safety of her balu and her own ability to take care of herself that she did not voice the cry for help which would soon have brought the other members of the tribe flocking to her side toog slowly reached the limit to which he dared risk his great weight to the slender branches gazan was still fifteen feet above him the bull braced himself and seized the main branch in his powerful hands then he commenced shaking it vigorously teeka was appalled instantly she realized what the bull proposed gazan clung far out upon a swaying limb at the first shake he lost his balance though he did not quite fall clinging still with his four hands but toog redoubled his efforts the shaking produced a violent snapping of the limb to which the young ape clung teeka saw all too plainly what the outcome must be and forgetting her own danger in the depth of her mother-love rushed forward to ascend the tree and give battle to the fearsome creature that menaced the life of her little one but before ever she reached the bowl toog had succeeded by violent shaking of the branch to loosen gazan's hold with a cry the little fellow plunged down through the foliage clutching futilely for a new hold and alighted with a sickening thud at his mother's feet where he lay silent and motionless moaning teeka stooped to lift the still form in her arms but at the same instant toog was upon her struggling and biting she fought to free herself but the giant muscles of the great bull were too much for her lesser strength toog struck and choked her repeatedly until finally half unconscious she lapsed into quasi-submission then the bull lifted her to his shoulder and turned back to the trail toward the south from whence he had come upon the ground lay the quiet form of little gazan he did not moan he did not move the sun rose slowly toward meridian a mangy thing lifting its nose to scent the jungle breeze crept through the underbrush it was dango the hyena presently its ugly muzzle broke through some nearby foliage and its cruel eyes fastened upon gazan early that morning tarzan of the apes had gone to the cabin by the sea where he passed many an hour at such times as the tribe was ranging in the vicinity on the floor lay the skeleton of a man all that remained of the former lord greystoke lay as it had fallen some twenty years before when kerchak the great ape had thrown it lifeless there long since had the termites and the small rodents picked clean the sturdy english bones for years tarzan had seen it lying there giving it no more attention than he gave the countless thousand bones that strewed his jungle haunts on the bed another smaller skeleton reposed and the youth ignored it as he ignored the other how could he know that the one had been his father the other his mother the little pile of bones in the rude cradle fashioned with such loving care by the former lord greystoke meant nothing to him that one day that little skull was to help prove his right to a proud title was as far beyond his ken as the satellites of the sons of orion to tarzan they were bones just bones he did not need them for there was no meat left upon them and they were not in his way 
for he knew no necessity for a bed, and the skeleton upon the floor he easily could step over. Today he was restless. He turned the pages first of one book and then of another. He glanced at pictures which he knew by heart, and tossed the books aside. He rummaged for the thousandth time in the cupboard. He took out a bag which contained several small, round pieces of metal. He had played with them many times in the years gone by, but always he replaced them carefully in the bag and the bag in the cupboard, upon the very shelf where first he had discovered it. In strange ways did heredity manifest itself in the ape-man. Come of an orderly race, he himself was orderly without knowing why. The apes dropped things wherever their interest in them waned, in the tall grass or from the high-flung branches of the trees. What they dropped they sometimes found again by accident. But not so the ways of Tarzan. For his few belongings he had a place, and scrupulously he returned each thing to its proper place when he was done with it. The round pieces of metal in the little bag always interested him. Raised pictures were upon either side, the meaning of which he did not quite understand. The pieces were bright and shiny. It amused him to arrange them in various figures upon the table. Hundreds of times had he played thus. Today, while so engaged, he dropped a lovely yellow piece, an English sovereign, which rolled beneath a bed where lay all that was mortal of the once beautiful Lady Alice. True to form, Tarzan at once dropped to his hands and knees and searched beneath the bed for the lost gold piece. Strange as it might appear, he had never before looked beneath the bed. He found the gold piece, and something else he found, too, a small wooden box with a loose cover. Bringing them both out, he returned the sovereign to its bag and the bag to its shelf within the cupboard. Then he investigated the box. It contained a quantity of cylindrical bits of metal, cone-shaped at one end and flat at the other, with a projecting rim. They were all quite green and dull, coated with years of verdigris. Tarzan removed a handful of them from the box and examined them. He rubbed one upon another and discovered that the green came off, leaving a shiny surface for two-thirds of their length and a dull gray over the cone-shaped end. Finding a bit of wood, he rubbed one of the cylinders rapidly and was rewarded by a lustrous sheen which pleased him. At his side hung a pocket-pouch taken from the body of one of the numerous black warriors he had slain. Into this pouch he put a handful of the new playthings, thinking to polish them at his leisure. Then he replaced the box beneath the bed, and finding nothing more to amuse him, left the cabin and started back in the direction of the tribe. Shortly before he reached them he heard a great commotion ahead of him, the loud screams of shes and balus the savage angry barking and growling of the great bulls. Instantly he increased his speed, for the Kriegors that came to his ears warned him that something was amiss with his fellows. While Tarzan had been occupied with his own devices in the cabin of his dead sire, Tog, Tika's mighty mate, had been hunting a mile to the north of the tribe. At last, his belly filled, he had turned lazily back toward the clearing where he had last seen the tribe, and presently commenced passing its members scattered alone or in twos or threes. Nowhere did he see Tika or Gazan, and soon he began inquiring of the other apes where they might be, but none had seen them recently. 
Now the lower orders are not highly imaginative. They do not, as you and I, paint vivid mental pictures of things which might have occurred, and so Tog did not now apprehend that any misfortune had overtaken his mate and their offspring. He merely knew that he wished to find Tika, that he might lie down in the shade and have her scratch his back while his breakfast digested. But though he called to her and searched for her and asked each whom he met, he could find no trace of Tika, nor of Gazan either. He was beginning to become peeved, and had about made up his mind to chastise Tika for wandering so far afield when he wanted her. He was moving south along a game trail, his calloused soles and knuckles giving forth no sound, when he came upon Dango at the opposite side of a small clearing. The eater of carrion did not see Tog, for all his eyes were for something which lay in the grass beneath a tree, something upon which he was sneaking with the cautious stealth of his breed. Tog, always cautious himself, as it behooves one to be who fares up and down the jungle and desires to survive, swung noiselessly into a tree where he could have a better view of the clearing. He did not fear Dango, but he wanted to see what it was that Dango stalked. In a way, possibly, he was actuated as much by curiosity as by caution and when Tog reached a place in the branches from which he could have an unobstructed view of the clearing, he saw Dango already sniffing at something directly beneath him, something which Tog instantly recognized as the lifeless form of his little gazon. With a cry so frightful, so bestial, that it momentarily paralyzed the startled Dango, the great ape launched his mighty bulk upon the surprised hyena. With a cry and a snarl, Dango, crushed to earth, turned to tear at his assailant, but as effectively might a sparrow turn upon a hawk. Tog's great gnarled fingers closed upon the hyena's throat and back. His jaws snapped once on the mangy neck crushing the vertebrae, and then he hurled the dead body contemptuously aside. Again he raised his voice in the call of the bull-ape to its mate, but there was no reply. Then he leaned down to sniff at the body of Gazan. In the breast of this savage, hideous beast there beat a heart which was moved, however slightly, by the same emotions of paternal love which affect us. Even had we no actual evidence of this, we must know it still since only thus might be explained the survival of the human race in which the jealousy and selfishness of the bulls would in the earliest stages of the race have wiped out the young as rapidly as they were brought into the world had not god implanted in the savage bosom that paternal love which evidences itself most strongly in the protective instinct of the male in tog the protective instinct was not alone highly developed but affection for his offspring as well, for Tog was an unusually intelligent specimen of these great manlike apes which the natives of the Gobi speak of in whispers, but which no white man ever had seen, or if seeing, lived to tell of, until Tarzan of the Apes came among them. And so Tog felt sorrow as any other father might feel sorrow at the loss of a little child. To you little Gazan might have seemed a hideous and repulsive creature, but to Tog and Tika he was as beautiful and as cute as is your little Mary or Johnny or Elizabeth Ann to you. And he was their firstborn, their only Balu, and a he, three things which might make a young ape the apple of any fond father's eye. For a moment Tog sniffed at the quiet little form, 
With his muzzle and his tongue he smoothed and caressed the rumpled coat. From his savage lips broke a low moan, but quickly upon the heels of sorrow came the overmastering desire for revenge. Leaping to his feet he screamed out a volley of Kriegaws, punctuated from time to time by the blood-freezing cry of an angry, challenging bull, a rage-mad bull with the blood-lust strong upon him. Answering his cries came the cries of the tribe as they swung through the trees toward him. It was these that Tarzan heard on his return from his cabin, and in reply to them he raised his own voice and hurried forward with increased speed until he fairly flew through the middle terraces of the forest. When at last he came upon the tribe he saw their members gathered about Tog and something which lay quietly upon the ground. Dropping among them, Tarzan approached the center of the group. Tog was stiff, roaring out his challenges, but when he saw Tarzan he ceased, and stooping picked up Gazan in his arms, and held him out for Tarzan to see. Of all the bulls of the tribe, Tog held affection for Tarzan only. Tarzan he trusted, and looked up to as one wiser and more cunning, to Tarzan he came now, to the playmate of his Balu days, the companion of innumerable battles of his maturity. When Tarzan saw the still form in Tog's arms, a low growl broke from his lips, for he too loved Tika's little Balu. "'Who did it?' he asked. "'Where is Tika?' "'I do not know,' replied Tog. "'I found him lying here with Dango about to feed upon him, but it was not Dango that did it. There are no fang marks upon him. Tarzan came closer and placed an ear against Gazan's breast. He is not dead, he said. Maybe he will not die. He pressed through the crowd of apes and circled once about them, examining the ground step by step. Suddenly he stopped, and placing his nose close to the earth, sniffed. Then he sprang to his feet, giving a peculiar cry. Tog and the others pressed forward, for the sound told them that the hunter had found the spore of his quarry. "'A stranger bull has been here,' said Tarzan. "'It was he that hurt Gazan. He has carried off Tika.' Tog and the other bulls commenced to roar and threaten, but they did nothing. Had the stranger bull been within sight, they would have torn him to pieces, but it did not occur to them to follow him. "'If the three bulls had been watching around the tribe, this would not have happened.' said Tarzan. Such things will happen as long as you do not keep the three bulls watching for an enemy. The jungle is full of enemies, and yet you let your shes and your balus feed where they will, alone and unprotected. Tarzan goes now. He goes to find Tika and bring her back to the tribe. The idea appealed to the other bulls. We will all go, they cried. No, said Tarzan, you will not go. You cannot take shes and balus when we go out to hunt and fight. You must remain to guard them, or you will lose them all. They scratched their heads. The wisdom of his advice was dawning upon them, but at first they had been carried away by the new idea, the idea of following up an enemy offender to wrest his prize from him and punish him. The community instinct was ingrained in their characters through ages of custom. They did not know why they had not thought to pursue and punish the offender. They could not know that it was because they had as yet not reached a mental plane which would permit them to work as individuals. 
In times of stress, the community instinct sent them huddling into a compact herd, where the great bulls, by the weight of their combined strength and ferocity, could best protect them from an enemy. The idea of separating to do battle with a foe had not yet occurred to them. It was too foreign to custom, too inimical to community interests, but to Tarzan it was the first and most natural thought. His senses told him that there was but a single bull connected with the attack upon Tika and Gazan. A single enemy did not require the entire tribe for his punishment. Two swift bulls could quickly overhaul him and rescue Tika. In the past no one ever had thought to go forth in search of the shes that were occasionally stolen from the tribe. If Numa, Sabor, Sheeta, or a wandering bull-ape from another tribe chanced to carry off a maid or a matron while no one was looking, that was the end of it. She was gone. That was all. The bereaved husband, if the victim chanced to have been mated, growled around for a day or two, and then, if he were strong enough, took another mate within the tribe, and if not, wandered far into the jungle on the chance of stealing one from another community. In the past Tarzan of the Apes had condoned this practice for the reason that he had had no interest in those who had been stolen, but Tika had been his first love, and Tika's balu held a place in his heart such as a balu of his own would have held. Just once before had Tarzan wished to follow and revenge. That had been years before, when Kulonga, the son of Mabonga the chief, had slain Kala. Then, single-handed, Tarzan had pursued and avenged. Now, though to a lesser degree, he was moved by the same passion. He turned toward Tog. "'Leave Gazan with Mumga,' he said. "'She is old, and her fangs are broken, and she is no good. But she can take care of Gazan until we return with Tika. And if Gazan is dead when we come back,' he turned to address Mumga, "'I will kill you, too.' "'Where are we going?' asked Tog. "'We are going to get Tika,' replied the ape-man, "'and kill the bull who has stolen her. Come.' He turned again to the spore of the stranger bull, which showed plainly to his trained senses, nor did he glance back to note if Tog followed. The latter laid Gazan in Mumga's arms with a parting, "'If he dies, Tarzan will kill you.' and he followed after the brown-skinned figure that already was moving at a slow trot along the jungle trail. No other bull of the tribe of Kerchak was so good a trailer as Tarzan, for his trained senses were aided by a high order of intelligence. His judgment told him the natural trail for a quarry to follow, so that he need but note the most apparent marks upon the way, and to-day the trail of Tug was as plain to him as type upon a printed page to you or me. Following close behind the lithe figure of the ape-man came the huge and shaggy bull-ape. No words passed between them. They moved as silently as two shadows among the myriad shadows of the forest. Alert as his eyes and ears was Tarzan's patrician nose. The spore was fresh, and now that they had passed from the range of the strong ape odor of the tribe, he had little difficulty in following Tug and Tika by scent alone. Tika's familiar scent spore told both Tarzan and Tog that they were upon her trail, and soon the scent of Tug became as familiar as the other. They were progressing rapidly when suddenly dense clouds overcast the sun. Tarzan accelerated his pace, 
Now he fairly flew along the jungle trail, or where Toog had taken to the trees followed nimbly as a squirrel along the bending, undulating pathway of the foliage branches, swinging from tree to tree as Toog had swung before them, but more rapidly because they were not handicapped by a burden such as Toog's. Tarzan felt that they must be almost upon the quarry, for the scent spore was becoming stronger and stronger when the jungle was suddenly shot by livid lightning, and a deafening roar of thunder reverberated through the heavens and the forest until the earth trembled and shook. Then came the rain, not as it comes to us of the temperate zones, but as a mighty avalanche of water, a deluge which spilled tons instead of drops upon the bending forest giants and the terrified creatures which haunt their shade and the rain did what Tarzan knew that it would do. It wiped the spore of the quarry from the face of the earth. For a half hour the torrents fell, then the sun burst forth, jeweling the forest with a million scintillant gems. But today the ape-man, usually alert to the changing wonders of the jungle, saw them not. Only the fact that the spore of Tika and her abductor was obliterated found lodgment in his thoughts. Even among the branches of the trees there are well-worn trails, just as there are trails upon the surface of the ground, but in the trees they branch and cross more often, since the way is more open than among the dense undergrowth at the surface. Along one of these well-marked trails Tarzan and Tog continued after the rain had ceased, because the ape-man knew that this was the most logical path for the thief to follow. But when they came to a fork they were at a loss. Here they halted while Tarzan examined every branch and leaf which might have been touched by the fleeing ape. He sniffed the bole of the tree, and with his keen eyes he sought to find upon the bark some sign of the way the quarry had taken. It was slow work, and all the time Tarzan knew the bull of the alien tribe was forging steadily away from them, gaining precious minutes that might carry him to safety before they could catch up with him. First along one fork he went, and then another, applying every test that his wonderful jungle craft was cognizant of, but again and again he was baffled, for the scent had been washed away by the heavy downpour in every exposed place. For a half hour Tarzan and Tog searched, until at last upon the bottom of a broad leaf Tarzan's keen nose caught the faint trace of the scent spore of Toog, where the leaf had brushed a hairy shoulder as the great ape passed through the foliage. Once again the two took up the trail, but it was slow work now, and there were many discouraging delays when the spore seemed lost beyond recovery. To you or me there would have been no spore even before the coming of the rain, except possibly where Toog had come to earth and followed a game trail. In such places the imprint of a huge hand-like foot and the knuckles of one great hand were sometimes plain enough for an ordinary mortal to read. Tarzan knew from these and other indications that the ape was yet carrying Tika. The depth of the imprint of his feet indicated a much greater weight than that of any of the larger bulls, for they were made under the combined weight of Toog and Tika, while the fact that the knuckles of but one hand touched the ground at any time showed that the other hand was occupied in some other business, the business of holding the prisoner to a hairy shoulder. 
Tarzan could follow in sheltered places the changing of the burden from one shoulder to another, as indicated by the deepening of the foot imprint upon the side of the load, and the changing of the knuckle imprints from one side of the trail to the other. There were stretches along the surface paths, where the ape had gone for considerable distances entirely erect upon his hind feet, walking as a man walks, but the same might have been true of any of the great anthropoids of the same species, for, unlike the chimpanzee and the gorilla, they walk without the aid of their hands quite as readily as with. It was such things, however, which helped to identify to Tarzan and to Tog the appearance of the abductor, and with his individual scent characteristic already indelibly impressed upon their memories, they were in a far better position to know him when they came upon him, even should he have disposed of Tika before, than is a modern sleuth with his photographs and Bertillon measurements equipped to recognize a fugitive from civilized justice. But with all their high-strung and delicately attuned perceptive faculties, the two bulls of the tribe of Kerchak were often sore-pressed to follow the trail at all, and at best were so delayed that in the afternoon of the second day they still had not overhauled the fugitive. The scent was now strong, for it had been made since the rain, and Tarzan knew that it would not be long before they came upon the thief and his loot. Above them, as they crept stealthily forward, chattered Manu the monkey and his thousand fellows, squawked and screamed the brazen-throated birds of plumage, buzzed and hummed the countless insects amid the rustling of the forest leaves, and as they passed a little gray beard, squeaking and scolding upon a swaying branch, looked down and saw them. Instantly the scolding and squeaking ceased, and off tore the long-tailed mite as though Sheeta the panther had been endowed with wings and was in close pursuit of him. To all appearances he was only a very much frightened little monkey, fleeing for his life. There seemed nothing sinister about him. And what of Tika during all this time? Was she at last resigned to her fate, and accompanying her new mate in the proper humility of a loving and tractable spouse? A single glance at the pair would have answered these questions to the utter satisfaction of the most captious. She was torn and bleeding from many wounds inflicted by the sullen Toog in his vain efforts to subdue her to his will and Toog, too, was disfigured and mutilated, but with stubborn ferocity he still clung to his now useless prize. On through the jungle he forced his way in the direction of the stamping-ground of his tribe. He hoped that his king would have forgotten his treason, but if not he was still resigned to his fate. Any fate would be better than suffering longer the sole companionship of this frightful she, and then, too, he wished to exhibit his captive to his fellows, Maybe he could wish her on the king. It is possible that such a thought urged him on. At last they came upon two bulls feeding in a park-like grove, a beautiful grove dotted with huge boulders half embedded in the rich loam, mute monuments possibly to a forgotten age when mighty glaciers rolled their slow course where now a torrid sun beats down upon a tropic jungle. The two bulls looked up, bearing long fighting fangs, as Toog appeared in the distance. The latter recognized the two as friends. "'It is Toog,' he growled. "'Toog has come back with a new she.' The apes waited his nearer approach. Tika turned a snarling, fanged face toward them. She was not pretty to look upon, 
yet through the blood and hatred upon her countenance they realized that she was beautiful, and they envied Tug. Alas, they did not know Tika. As they squatted, looking at one another, there raced through the trees toward them a long-tailed little monkey with gray whiskers. He was a very excited little monkey when he came to a halt upon the limb of a tree directly overhead. Two strange bulls come!' he cried. One is a mangani, the other a hideous ape without hair upon his body. They follow the spore of Toog. I saw them. The four apes turned their eyes backward along the trail Toog had just come. Then they looked at one another for a minute. Come, said the larger of Toog's two friends. We will wait for the strangers in the thick bushes beyond the clearing. He turned and waddled away across the open place, the others following him. The little monkey danced about, all excitement. His chief diversion in life was to bring about bloody encounters between the larger denizens of the forest, that he might sit in the safety of the trees and witness the spectacles. He was a glutton for gore, was this little whiskered gray monkey, so long as it was the gore of others. A typical fight fan was the gray beard. The apes hid themselves in the shrubbery beside the trail along which the two stranger bulls would pass. Tika trembled with excitement. She had heard the words of Manu, and she knew that the hairless ape must be Tarzan, while the other was doubtless Tog. Never in her wildest hopes had she expected succor of this sort. Her one thought had been to escape and find her way back to the tribe of Kerchak, but even this had appeared to her practically impossible, so closely did Tug watch her. As Tog and Tarzan reached the grove where Tug had come upon his friends, the ape's scent became so strong that both knew the quarry was but a short distance ahead, and so they went even more cautiously, for they wished to come upon the thief from behind if they could, and charge him before he was aware of their presence. That a little gray-whiskered monkey had forestalled them they did not know, nor that three pairs of savage eyes were already watching their every move and waiting for them to come within reach of itching paws and slavering jowls. On they came across the grove, and as they entered the path leading into the dense jungle beyond, a sudden Creog shrilled out close before them, a Creog in the familiar voice of Tika. The small brains of Toog and his companions had not been able to foresee that Tika might betray them, and now that she had they went wild with rage. Toog struck the she a mighty blow that felled her, and then the three rushed forth to do battle with Tarzan and Tog. The little monkey danced upon his perch and screamed with delight, and indeed he might well be delighted, for it was a lovely fight. There were no preliminaries, no formalities, no introductions. The five bulls merely charged and clinched. They rolled in the narrow trail into the thick verdure beside it. They bit and clawed and scratched and struck, and all the while they kept up the most frightful chorus of growlings and barkings and roarings. In five minutes they were torn and bleeding, and the little greybeard leaped high, shrilling his primitive bravos, but always his attitude was thumbs down. He wanted to see something killed. He did not care whether it were friend or foe. It was blood he wanted, blood and death. Tog had been set upon by Tug and another of the apes, while Tarzan had the third, a huge brute with the strength of a buffalo. Never before had Tarzan's assailant beheld so strange a creature as this slippery, hairless bull with which he battled. 
Sweat and blood covered Tarzan's sleek brown hide. Again and again he slipped from the clutches of the great bull, and all the while he struggled to free his hunting knife from the scabbard in which it had stuck. At length he succeeded. A brown hand shot out and clutched a hairy throat. Another flew upward, clutching the sharp blade. Three swift, powerful strokes, and the bull relaxed with a groan, falling limp beneath his antagonist. Instantly Tarzan broke from the clutches of the dying bull and sprang to Tog's assistance. Toog saw him coming and wheeled to meet him. In the impact of the charge, Tarzan's knife was wrenched from his hand, and then Toog closed with him. Now was the battle even, two against two, while on the verge Tika, now recovered from the blow that had felled her, slunk waiting for an opportunity to aid. She saw Tarzan's knife and picked it up. She never had used it but knew how Tarzan used it. Always had she been afraid of the thing which dealt death to the mightiest of the jungle people with the ease that Tantor's great tusks dealt death to Tantor's enemies. She saw Tarzan's pocket pouch torn from his side, and with the curiosity of an ape that even danger and excitement cannot entirely dispel, she picked this up too. Now the bulls were standing, the clinches had been broken, blood streamed down their sides, their faces were crimsoned with it. Little Greybeard was so fascinated that at last he had even forgotten to scream and dance, but sat rigid with delight in the enjoyment of the spectacle. Back across the grove Tarzan and Tog forced their adversaries. Tika followed slowly. She scarce knew what to do. She was lame and sore and exhausted from the frightful ordeal through which she had passed, and she had the confidence of her sex in the prowess of her mate and the other bull of her tribe. They would not need the help of a she in their battle with these two strangers. The roars and screams of the fighters reverberated through the jungle, awakening the echoes in the distant hills. From the throat of Tarzan's antagonist had come a score of Creogs, and now from behind came the reply he had awaited. Into the grove, barking and growling, came a score of huge bull apes, the fighting men of Toog's tribe. Tika saw them first and screamed a warning to Tarzan and Tog. Then she fled past the fighters toward the opposite side of the clearing, fear for a moment claiming her, nor can one censure her after the frightful ordeal from which she was still suffering. Down upon them came the great apes. In a moment Tarzan and Tog would be torn to shreds. That would later form the piece de resistance of the savage orgy of a dum-dum. Tika turned to glance back. She saw the impending fate of her defenders, and there sprung to life in her savage bosom the spark of martyrdom that some common forebear had transmitted alike to Tika, the wild ape, and the glorious women of a higher order who have invited death for their men. With a shrill scream she ran toward the battlers, who were rolling in a great mass at the foot of one of the huge boulders which dotted the grove. But what could she do? The knife she held she could not use to advantage because of her lesser strength. She had seen Tarzan throw missiles, and she had learned this with many other things from her childhood playmate. She sought for something to throw, and at last her fingers touched upon the hard objects in the pouch that had been torn from the ape-man. Tearing the receptacle open, she gathered a handful of shiny cylinders, heavy for their size, they seemed to her, and good missiles. With all her strength she hurled them at the apes battling in front of the granite boulder. The result surprised Tika quite as much as it did the apes. There was a loud explosion which deafened the fighters and a puff of acrid smoke. Never before had one there heard such a frightful noise. 
Screaming with terror, the stranger bulls leaped to their feet and fled back toward the stamping grounds of their tribe, while Tog and Tarzan slowly gathered themselves together and arose, lame and bleeding, to their feet. They too would have fled had they not seen Tika standing there before them, the knife and the pocket pouch in her hands. "'What was it?' asked Tarzan. Tika shook her head. "'I hurled these things at the stranger bulls.' and she held forth another handful of the shiny metal cylinders with the dull gray cone-shaped ends. Tarzan looked at them and scratched his head. "'What are they?' asked Tog. "'I do not know,' said Tarzan. "'I found them.' The little monkey with the gray beard halted among the trees a mile away and huddled terrified against a branch. He did not know that the dead father of Tarzan of the Apes, reaching back out of the past across a span of twenty years, had saved his son's life. Nor did Tarzan, Lord Greystoke, know it either. End of chapter 10